At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. This episode of Burnt Toast brought to you by Green Chef, the organic meal kit delivery service. Green Chef is giving Burnt Toast listeners $50 off your first box. Just go to greenchef.us slash toast and you'll automatically receive $50 off. That's greenchef.us slash toast for $50 off. Welcome back to Food 52's Burnt Toast Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkow. Why do we eat spicy food? Heartburn isn't a good thing, is it? It may be mythology that after the initial flame, chili peppers cool us off. But all signs point to the fact that cooking with heat does good things for us, from digestion to flavor perception. Whether fresh or dried chili peppers, and even hot sauces, we love spicy food because of its dimensionality. Plus, it's tasty and fun to eat. From the many moles of Mexico to the mala spicy numbing dishes of Sichuan China and an array of Indian cuisines that aren't curry. Get ready to heighten your taste buds and feel the burn. Dave DeWitt is known as the Pope of Peppers, having written more than 20 books on fiery foods. He also produces the National Fiery Food Show in New Mexico, home to the Hatch Chili. He gives us insight into why we crave that peppery punch. There's the bungee jumping theory and that we like risk and want to take risk and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's acclimation. After you eat chili peppers for a while, it's not that you're addicted physically, but there's some psychological addiction and you crave this sensation. Let's talk about the history a little bit. And why did man, woman ever decide to first eat chilies? The usage in the Amazon, when chilies were a wild crop and weren't being farmed, they were just being picked from wild bushes because they were trying to find crops to eat. But they were eating mostly root crops. In Peru, they were eating potatoes. In, in the Amazon, of course, they were eating manioc and yucca, both very bland root crops. And the chili peppers would add some dimension to those by providing a level of heat and flavor that would make these bland crops uh, more palatable. And when people started actually farming with them, there was this great tendency to pick the biggest and the brightest chilies to plant for the following year. And that's how chilies went from a, a very tiny spherical pod to all the different varieties that we have now. Eating chili peppers isn't all about braving the heat. They have flavor, too. Maricel Priscilla, a culinary historian and cookbook writer, born and raised in Cuba, came to the United States in 1970 to study medieval history. She somehow ended up in Hoboken, New Jersey, with two restaurants and a food store, Cucharamama, Zafra, and Ultramarinos, all which celebrate the spice of life in Latin cuisines. Peppers are New World. 
plants. Uh, they are native uh, to Latin America. It's believed that they were born. Uh, the, the center of diversity is considered to be uh, central Bolivia. So in a place bordered by the, uh, the Amazon area and the eastern slopes of the Andes. And from there, birds probably took them just everywhere uh, in the Americas. But th- the thing is, the ancestral wild peppers were hot. They were small. Um, they had just brilliant uh, red uh, pods that attracted birds and mammals. But the thing is that birds could eat all the peppers they wanted, but mammals were repelled by something called capsaicin. What exactly is capsaicin? You know, we use capsaicin as an umbrella term for a number of substances, alkaloids. They do not burn you. They give you the sensation with sting because we have capsaicin receptors, you know, in our mouth and, and in other parts of our digestive system. So it's not pain per se. It's a sensory nerve so sensitive it literally buzzes with information. Not all chilies are the same. There are a wide variety of types and flavors. And heat depends on a number of variables. It has to do with environment. It has to do with the rainfall. You know, there is drought or, or uh, altitude. So a number of variables conspired to make a pepper hotter than another. Even in the same plant, sometimes you find a pepper that is hotter than others in the same, in the same plant. Although the peppers come in, in an enormous... Um, multiplicity of forms. You know, if you look at a, an, a habanero pepper and you compare it to a bell pepper, of course they're very different. The way of measuring capsaicin in a pepper is by Scoville units. A habanero is 200,000. A jalapeno is 5,000. The Carolina Reaper is 2.2 million. Often we're talking fresh, but drying them adds more depth. Mark Miller is a culinary anthropologist a specialist in chilies, and was one of the first to write about the flavor profile of chilies, not just the heat index. Even though he's often known as the godfather of southwestern cuisine by opening Coyote Cafe in Santa Fe, New Mexico in 1987, it was his northeastern culinary roots and a sip of wine that brought him closer to the chili spice he now loves so much. The first thing I tasted that was spicy was a spicy marinara sauce that my godmother made me. She put chilies in, in her spaghetti sauce and I, my, my family didn't do that but it, um, and I thought it was really interesting that I liked it more and that the flavors were accentuated I never really realized that chilies had flavors until one day I was at a wine seminar and people were talking about wine and they were talking about all these flavonoids you know it's like you know it's essences of rose and this and that there are flavors that are fruit flavors in chilies and people thought I was crazy but they are fruits Mark dove deep into the world of dried fruit, I mean Mexican chilies, which opened up the family of seven sisters, the name given to the seven basic types of mole sauces. Now, there's mole amarillo, okay, which is the yellow one, which usually has fruits from Veracruz. It's made with yellow chilies, particularly Costeño, if you can get it. There's uh, mole negro, which is the one of Oaxaca. It should contain chihuacle negro, which is, you'll never see, it's very expensive chili. Um, there's the mole from Puebla, which is the one you normally associate with the brown. There's roja, which is spicy. Then there's uh, mole verde, which has hoja santa and, and, for instance, poblano and, you know, the green chilies in it. 
and then you have uh, mole chichio, which is a burnt mole, and then you have manchimantel, which is a fruited mole, which is kind of somewhere between a mole and a pipian, not a pipian. So those are your seven moles. That's what the seven sisters they're called. How does that translate to other parts of the world? Can you make moles from a variety of hot peppers? Somebody asked me to make Mexican food in Thailand. And even though they only have a lot of chilies, the soil of Thailand creates very bitter chilies. They're very hot, but you can't make moles. They don't have any fruit flavonoids to their chilies that they grow. Uh, when I work in Sweden, they don't allow chilies from Mexico because they, they're not radiated. They don't pass their EU standards. So we buy chilies, anchos from Peru, and anchos are being grown in China, and then they taste completely different. So every culture that in the world uses chilies at some point. Let's learn a little about what happens when you eat spicy food. Whitney English Tobai, a registered dietitian and nutritionist, used to work as an entertainment reporter for E! News, but traded in red carpet celebrity reports to investigate nutrition and health. So one of the most well-studied spicy compounds is capsaicin. Studies have shown that it possesses anti-obesogenic, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer, and anti hypertensive properties and can also benefit glucose homeostasis. So those are some of the ways that researchers believe it contributes to health benefits. But just because something's said to be good for you doesn't mean that eaters shouldn't beware. What they're seeing is that spicy foods um, can contribute to certain gastrointestinal disorders. When should you be eating spicy food? When is it beneficial for your body for your health? Well, if you don't have any gastrointestinal issues, I think you want to eat it on a daily basis as much as possible. Hot sauce is a billion-dollar business in the U.S., and there are so many amazing smaller makers to discover. One of my favorites is Burn. William Chase Atkins was a pepper farmer in California. Amanda Parr cooked in restaurants such as Luke's Ad Hoc in Manresa. When Farmer met Chef, they started Burn, a line of lacto-fermented hot sauces with only four ingredients on the label, peppers, water, salt, and thyme. So he was working on a pepper farm, and he actually lent them our smoker so they could smoke some of their jalapenos. And in return, he, he showed up at our house with 20 pounds of ripe red serranos. So when I saw the peppers, I was like, perfect. Let's take the tops off. Let's ferment them for a couple months and then we'll be able to make the most delicious hot wings ever. What's counterintuitive is that Chase isn't even a chili head. He's a mild guy from the Ozarks of Missouri. The first time I ever tried a, something spicy was when my dad bet me $5 to eat a jalapeno, and I was about knee-high, you know? <laughs> I wasn't that tall of a guy, and uh, yeah, cried a bit. Didn't eat the whole pepper. <laughs> now, now, having you know lived and experienced so much spice in your life and owning a hot sauce company, What's your tolerance like? I would say it's pretty moderate. I I can eat a, a raw habanero and stay awake and tolerate it, but I wouldn't eat like a raw ghost chili. Um, I don't know how people do that. <laughs> it's not the amount of spice you use, but how you use it. Amanda's recipe for chili butter tenderly coats chicken wings in a way that you know it's been made with love. I make a big batch of chili butter, and what I'll do is I'll take about two bottles of our hot sauce, and I'll just pour them directly in the blender. Meanwhile, I'll melt some butter, maybe like a pound, with some garlic. And, you know, if I'm really feeling it, I'll toast some coriander and fennel seed, and I'll let that simmer in the garlic butter, too. 
And then I put my top on the blender. I start the blender going with just the hot sauce in it. And while the blender is going, I'll slowly strain in the chili butter. And when you slowly pour in the butter, it actually emulsifies to make the silkiest chili butter. So I usually let that just kind of sit at room temperature and it'll thicken a little bit. And then once the wings are crispy, I season them with salt and I let them cool a little bit because if you toss them with the chili butter too quickly, it'll melt and the butter will separate. So if the wings are just slightly warm, then when you toss them with the silky butter, it just coats them. Next, we'll look at the world of competitive eating competitions, where downing enough spicy food can mean fame, glory, and your picture on the wall of flame. We'll be right back with more Burnt Toast. You're listening to Burnt Toast, and this episode is brought to you by Green Chef, the organic meal kit delivery service. This episode, Spice is Nice, explores the many reasons why people all over the world use spice and love eating spicy food. Spice up your dinners at home with Green Chef. Tasty, fun, and easy to prepare, every recipe is designed by expert chefs to deliver five-star flavor and include pre-made signature sauces, marinades, and spice blends. Simply sign up, pick your meal plan, and that's it. Convenient deliveries will come right to your door when you want them. Green Chef is giving Burnt Toast listeners $50 off your first box. Just go to greenchef.us slash toast and you'll automatically receive $50 off. That's greenchef.us slash toast for $50 off. And now, back to Burnt Toast. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Heather Haney, an actor and HR professional from upstate New York, has an abiding love of spicy food, as does her family. When her mother passed away in the fall of 2014, part of her wishes was to have her ashes spread amongst their family's happy place in Adirondacks, where they visited every summer. What was a somber time for her family grieving became a much-needed conquest to win a hot wing challenge. My brother and his girlfriend started talking about how they were doing these tours of places to get these incredibly hot wings. They decided that there was a place not far from where we would be staying that they really wanted to check out. It was called the Red Dog Tavern in Inlet, New York. They just talked about it for weeks. Picture one of those little local places off the highway in an itty-bitty, one-traffic-light town. Blink and you'll miss it. But for those who dared to enter and take the hot wing challenge, victory was a triumphant t-shirt and an everlasting photo on the wall of flame. You know, I think it had something to do with just being, um, I don't know, finding a way to lighten up this kind of really sad trip we were all taking together. I think it was one of the ways that they were thinking of bringing some levity maybe to the weekend. But they talked about it so much. The whole family was like, oh, we're going to watch this. This is this is happening. As soon as they get in, they announce that they are doing the Armageddon Wing Challenge. And the waitress kind of smirked a little bit, you know kind of rolled her eyes and was like, all right, fine. You know, she laid out the rules because uh, there are specific rules and they had to sign this waiver, like a liability waiver, which 
cracked us all up to no end. They can't have any meat left at the end of this challenge. Uh, they only have 30 minutes to do it. It's 10 wings, so it's not even a full dozen. And they can't drink anything or eat anything else other than water. So they couldn't have any dairy or any, anything that would like cut the heat. So it was just like hardcore water and chicken wings. If seeing a plate of radioactively glowing hot wings in front of you wasn't enough to make you sweat, the searing hot smell might do it. <laughs> well, you smell them about, I would say like 30 seconds maybe before you actually saw the wings. You ha caught this waft of like, uh, I think we described it as like a, a fried chicken tossed into a tire fire. It was so pungent. The waitress starts a timer and they go, and like my brother is starting up really strong. He's just like downing these wings, um, and like you know making these faces like that's really hot. His girlfriend was had a system where she's picking all of the meat and the skin off of these chicken wings, and like setting it to one side, and then she would just start slurping the meat without really chewing it. Talk to me a little bit more about your brother versus his girlfriend because I know he was having some struggles even breathing going through this competition. He was started off really strong but then like you start hearing this kind of like asthmatic wheezing as he's trying to breathe. He runs out of water. My husband's looking at him. My brother's turning gray. <laughs> like we're not a normal human color. He just looks ashen. My husband's trying to wave down the server to get him some more water. And at some point he has to get up and go to the bathroom, which created like code red panic among the wait staff because he has this crazy hot sauce all over his hands. So they're chasing after him, like opening the bathroom door for him. They're admonishing him, don't touch anything as they like anxiously flit around him because I guess only he and, and his girlfriend have signed the waiver. They don't want anybody else to accidentally ingest this stuff. Meanwhile, his girlfriend has just been slurping her chicken steadily, but starts turning kind of green. Time runs out and just under the wire, she succeeds in clearing her plate. Heather's brother did not. He had one wing left. The waitress hands her a t-shirt and the girlfriend's like, I want to see the wall of flame. This is what I, I, you know, this is the whole end game is this wall of flame. And sure enough, like, find out that there is no longer a wall of flame. It's all on the website. So they take her picture with this T-shirt. And, and it felt like this, just this sad victory. <laughs> I spoke to Crazy Legs Conti, major league eating competitor, who eats spicy food for sport. He's known as the Houdini of Cuisini. Generally, when we eat a uh, buffalo wing contest, the spiciness of the wings is pretty mild. So on average, um, an eater like myself might do between 100 and 125 wings in uh, 10 minutes. Now, uh, a couple years ago, Jake Melnix in Chicago did a boot or ghost pepper wing sauce eating contest. So it was chicken wings that were made with you know, the ghost pepper in the buffalo sauce. And uh, they didn't allow any uh, milk. As an example, so before I said we could do 100 to 125 wings in 10 minutes, I ate 25 wings in five minutes. Some eaters just curled up in the fetal position, while others, you know, we could only do a quarter to a fifth of our capacity. What did it feel like? Well, normally we have what you call the meat sweats. Your heart starts to beat a little faster, and you start to get the sweat on your brow. 
But with the uh, Jake Melnick's wings, it was almost instantaneous. People just turned sort of bright red, lobster red, uh, a lot of drooling, a lot of sweating. Do you practice eating spicy things before a competition? In other words, is there a way to up your tolerance? No, I think your better bet is never to practice if you're going into a pro eating contest with a spicy food. I think you just ride out the adrenaline, you get pumped up, you listen to some you know, 80s rock and roll music to get you going, and then you just hope that your mind goes somewhere else. But not all heat seekers are always up for the challenge. Fuchsia Dunlop, a food writer specializing in Chinese cuisine, was the first non-Chinese person to train at the Institute of Higher Cuisine in Chengdu. She's since written five books about Chinese cuisine and gastronomy. Her first book, Land of Plenty, is about the Sichuan province and its reputation for really fiery food. The first time I ever went to Sichuan was in 1992, and I didn't speak any Chinese, and I went backpacking around China. I was sort of I was interested in the food, but I didn't really know how to order. But I wrote in my diary that everything was flavored with this spice, which <laughs> numbed my mouth and made it impossible to enjoy everything. And that, I later discovered, was Sichuan pepper. I was very quickly won over. One of the emblems of Sichuan is the mala flavor, the numbing taste of Sichuan pepper paired with the hot taste of chilies. And people say that's because Sichuan is one of China's Hualu furnace cities, and it gets really intensely humid and hot in summer. And according to Chinese medicine, you have to eat lots of spicy food to drive out all the sweat and restore equilibrium to the body. Do you find mala to be painful? Well, um, you have this absolutely amazing dancing, tingling, numbing sensation of Sichuan pepper. So when you put some Sichuan pepper in your mouth, um, nothing happens immediately. But you wait a few seconds and this sort of tingling builds up into a great crescendo of sensation. Prior to the 16th century, there weren't really chilies in China. There's some debate about how chilies came to China, maybe from the overland route by way of India, but they were first documented on the eastern coast of the country, which suggests that they came in from maritime trade. Now chilies are synonymous with Sichuan cuisine. In New York City's Chinatown, I try to seek out Sichuan cuisine at all Chinese restaurants. I'm always delighted to find either one of my two favorite dishes, Mapa tofu or dandan noodles? Mapa tofu is perhaps the most famous and best loved Sichuanese dish. And it's a wonderful, wonderful concoction of Sichuan chili bean paste, uh, fermented black beans, ground chilies, all of which give it an sort of amazing savory taste and a gorgeous red color. Very tender tofu, which is cooked in this wonderful sauce. And the dish is finished off with a bit of bright green um, garlic leaves, swan miao, and finally by a scattering of ground roasted Sichuan pepper. And it's one of these dishes which, you know, if anyone ever thought that tofu was boring and insipid, they'll change their mind when they have mapo tofu. Oh, and I should have said also there's a little bit of ground beef in there too for extra savoriness. And what about dandan noodles? Is the dish thought of more for its sauce than its noodles? Yeah, so Dan Dan Noodles is named after, well, a, to Dan is to carry something on a shoulder pole. And um, the Sichuanese capital, Chengdu, has long been famous for its street food. And in the past, there were lots of people wandering the streets with, um, they'd have their cooking equipment and little stoves in baskets slung onto either end of a bamboo shoulder pole. 
and would go around the city calling out their wares. In this case, someone would call Dan Dan Miem, um, Dan Dan Noodles, and then everyone would know that he was doing his rounds and they could come out and have a, a very tiny bowl of noodles, like a snack between meals. So it looks just like a little bowl of noodles with some ground pork, but when you mix it all together, it has this electrifying spiciness. I asked Priya Krishna, a food writer who's written a book called Indianish, due out spring of 2019, about the Indian food her mother cooked, rooted in flavors from around the world, influenced by her upbringing in the Lone Star State. What spicy food did you and your family eat in Texas? Well, <laughs> the queso at the restaurant, at the Mexican restaurant that everyone goes to, my family loves because it's like wildly spicy. But, you know, other than that, the Indian food that I grew up with, wasn't that spicy. I feel like it's a very common misconception about Indian food. That umbrella term curry uh, gets muddled because of, you know, the, the British terminology. What, what exactly is curry um, to someone who's Indian and someone who's not Indian? Using the word curry to my, a lot of my aunts and uncles, like yields a lot of very confused faces, especially the ones in India, because there is no word curry in the Indian language. Like there are curry leaves which are, you know, from the neem tree, but that's a totally separate thing. Curry is actually a word that was invented by the British when they colonized India as kind of a catch-all for all the various stews and sautés that were found in Indian cuisine. I made it a point to say in my book that curry is not a thing. You will not find the word curry in this besides the word curry, which is a very different yogurt-based soup that I love that has nothing to do with the curry of the British. There are a couple Indian dishes that are spicy. Uh, I'm a huge fan of vindaloo. Can you point out a couple Indian dishes that do have some chili, do have some heat? Well, I mean, anything can really have heat if you <laughs> if you add it. I mean, the, the funny thing is like, so there's this thing in Indian cooking called a chonk. Um, this is in North Indian cooking. I'm North Indian, not South Indian. So I can't really speak to, to Southern Indian cooking, but in North Indian cooking, we have chonk, which is basically like the equivalent of like a sofrito, which is basically just, you know, aromatic spices and chilies that gets fried, like sort of sauteed in ghee or oil and then dumped onto a sabzi, which is vegetables or a dal. And that's like really the spicing agent of, of most of these dishes. Cause you've got your red chili powder in there. You've got whole red chilies, which are often just, more of a garnish and less meant to be eaten whole unless you're very adventurous. Indian cuisine is very, very mix and match, customizable. And it's like very hard to blanket say like, this is a spicy dish. This is not a spicy dish. So was there spicy food abound in your family's kitchen? I grew up in a household where we had whole green chilies next to our dinner and my parents would just sort of munch on them. Like they were, you know, like carrot sticks. Um, <laughs> they had a very high tolerance, but I wouldn't say that the cuisine is inherently spicy. My dad like makes this sort of version of like a yogurt cooler and he puts like two whole chilies in it and he drinks it while he's on his walk and says it totally refreshes him. You can even think about chilies as sort of a bridge from one cuisine to the next or one generation to the next. The entire category of Indo-Chinese cuisine is a perfect example of that. But there uh, were Chinese immigrants who settled in the area around Calcutta, and it was sometime in the 20th century. And what ended up happening was they borrowed all of these Indian techniques and ingredients and combined it with the dishes they knew. 
And that's how we ended up with, um, you know, dishes like chili chicken, which is basically just chicken sauteed and soy sauce and garlic and ginger and just like a ton of red chilies. And that is meant to be a very fiery dish, but it is also a fusion dish. That entire canon is like a study in, they took a lot of sort of classic Chinese dishes and made them and added dried chilies. And then there were a lot of Indian dishes that they sort of hybridized with Chinese cooking and made very spicy as well. The shared love of chilies, a border crossing, cultural blending fruit of the capsicum plant, has migrated into our familiar palate. It's brought us to hothead nirvana, be it by way of Nashville hot chicken, Jamaican jerk chicken, Ethiopian wat, or Korean kimchi jjigae. P.S. Yes, milk does work to combat spiciness. It's the casein which breaks down capsaicin bonds on nerve receptors for a bit of relief. But maybe you're in it for the burn. Thank you to Food52, my co-producer Jordan Werner, and Nick Rad and Mike Comite at HeadGum for recording. Music by Joshua Rule Dobson. We understand this podcast is called Burnt Toast, but can you believe we've never done an episode on Burnt Toast? Well, that's about to change. Join us for the final episode of Season 3, where we opine about toasters, toast the traits of toast, and burn it intentionally.